Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. This is advertiser content brought to you by Frito-Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down... We break down who will be cutting... Cut! What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys, it's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are... It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snack-It. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void wherever hit Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Finsider Radio. This is Matt Kanata, joined by Josh House and Aaron Sutton. The Miami Dolphins now 2-7, coming off another victory against the Indianapolis Colts, beating them 16-12. Ryan Fitzpatrick, 21-33. 169 yards. Kalen Balaj getting start at the running back position. 20 carries, 43 yards. Not that great. We'll touch more on that later on on the show. Devontae Parker having another nice game. Five receptions, 69 yards. Very nice from him. Brian Hoyer, on the other hand, 18 completions, 39 attempts, 204 yards, one a touchdown, three interceptions against the stout Miami Dolphins that's improving each and every week. Marlon Mack being held to under 100 yards rushing, 19 carries, 74 yards. On the receiving end, their leading receivers were two tight ends, Eric Ebron and Jack Doyle, 56 yards and 44 yards respectively. But the big story is, boys, the Miami Dolphins winning two in a row. That is correct. The Miami Dolphins, who many said would not win a single game this season, including us on this show, I know me, did not think the Dolphins would win, have shown dramatic improvement since the bye week. They have really turned things around. They have moved in the right direction. They have improved their defense. They have improved their offense. Ryan Fitzpatrick still streaky despite what the box score says, but still making plays when they matter the most. A few takeaways since their bye in week five. Mike Jasicki, who has really come along nicely in the last two weeks, sixth among all NFL tight ends with 225 receiving yards and tied for seventh with 18 receptions. His 43 career receptions, believe it or not, is third among NFL tight ends in the 2018 draft class. So you look at that draft class last year, and you look at guys like Dallas Goddard and um, you know Mark Andrews even, although Mark Andrews is having one hell of a year. 
It's crazy to think that as much as Jaziki was misused last year, just think of where he could be if this coaching staff was in place last season. It's neither here nor there. Looking at the Dolphins' defense, also on the other side of the ball, in each of their past six games, the unit has allowed fewer than 400 total yards. It's actually the first six-game stretch the Dolphins have allowed less than 400 yards since October 1st, 2017 to November 5th. 2017 and one other note on the defense before we get into the meats and bones of this Dolphins win streak they have allowed fewer than 250 net passing yards in four consecutive games every game since the bye in week five and since that bye Miami is 10th in passing defense allowing 203.8 yards per game and 14th in the NFL in total yards allowed at 362.2 yards per game the big thing though the big picture the big question is the Dolphins winning streak, the two and seven, knocking them out of the first draft pick? Lots of games to be played still, but the chances of them securing the number one pick are looking slimmer and slimmer as each week goes on. Are you both worried about the future of the Miami Dolphins if they rack off a few more wins and let's say get to four or five wins and then end up picking fifth, sixth, or seventh? How does that concern you? I think we kind of of all foresaw that you know after they got their first victory and you know they just keep piling them on one victory after the next I mean who's to say not going to go out there and somehow beat the Bills this weekend I mean it'd be so Miami Dolphins for them to do that you know a lot of us had very little expectations but you got to love the way these team has been getting better each and every week you know you're talking about the defense you're talking about the offense they're both making plays and you just have to love what you're seeing because Brian Flores took a roster that, you know, many people believe was the worst in the NFL, and he's turning chicken crap into chicken salad, and they're going out there and they're playing their heart, their asses off for, you know, the coach and the coaching staff, and again, they're developing players that might not even be on some other teams, so I, I'm not really sure if, you know, as Dolphin fans, we ever truly believed they were going to get that top pick, I mean, it was what was best for them, uh, you know, getting a tour or a Burrow, whoever their quarterback is, having that opportunity to draft at the top of this draft class would have been great. But as Dolphin fans, part of us had to assume, you know, bad things were going to happen and they were going to eventually win games to knock themselves out of this. The one thing we do have to remember is they have a boatload of draft picks. I think it's upward of 15 this year. They have two firsts next year. If they want a quarterback and a team up front does not have any interest, you know, maybe Dwayne Haskins is the guy in Washington or Dan Snyder, you know, forces that him upon the next head coach. We know Adam Gase is coming back. Sam Darnold's 22. They're probably not drafting a quarterback. So there is going to be opportunities for the Dolphins to move up and get the guy that they covet. I just don't know if, you know, it's going to come down to Cincinnati. And a lot of us kind of think, you know, maybe they go Joe Burrow because he's the hometown kid because they're going to have an opportunity to coach him at the Senior Bowl. Nobody knows who the Bengals are going to go after. But I do think anybody that sits here and says, you know, they have no, they have a chance. They're going to get two or they're going to get Burrow. They're just trying to, you know, butter things up and make you think one thing when it's complete opposite. They have all the draft picks. I don't think they're going to have a top five pick, and it hurts me to say that, but I do think they're going to continue to win games. They play the Jets later in the year. They're going to have New England's backups most likely. They play the Bengals, who are without a doubt the worst team in the NFL. So I don't think they're going to have that top five pick, but if there is a quarterback that they love, they have all the ammunition in the world to move up there and get them if the opportunity presents itself. Houts, let me ask you a question. Is Adam Gase a good head coach? No. So in 2016, he led the Miami Dolphins to 9-2 and in the final 11 to get the team to the playoffs. Do you think it's really that crazy that Brian Flores could do the same thing with 
the way the rest of this schedule looks. I mean, yes, Buffalo, we have go to Cleveland, and then we play Philadelphia, but then we're playing the Jets, the Giants, the Bengals, and possibly the Patriots resting their guys. So I wouldn't even – I can't eliminate any possibility for this Miami Dolphins team, and we're all cynical enough to know that we should not really expect anything to happen the rest of the season. We're just – little specks in a big pond, and we just got to let this thing play out. But I will say that I'm not necessarily worried about the draft order as it stands right now. So if you're in the uh, if you're in the demographic, we'll call it, of people that like more than just one quarterback in this class, if you're looking at Cincinnati picking one and then the Giants and Redskins picking ahead of the Miami Dolphins. That's a scenario that doesn't really scare me because I don't think the Giants or Redskins would take a quarterback. Now, where it would get a little murky for me is if we won another couple of games and someone like the Jets leapfrog us in the uh, in the L's category and they end up having a draft spot, then they're ahead of us and then they're that would be a tricky scenario having a division rival right above us and being a perfect trading partner with teams below us that want to come up and get a quarterback. So then we're in a bidding war. So uh, if it stands right now and we sit at four, I'm not worried about it. I think we can get our second best quarterback on our board and hopefully we ha have done enough due diligence that uh, there's not just Tua to rely on. And Matthew, you might enlighten us here in a few minutes about some of the stuff that you've been hearing uh, on the Tua front. But if we're sitting at four in this scenario, I think we're okay. Yeah, what if what if Tua is not their primary target? What if it's somebody else? What if their whole philosophy is to build from the inside out? And I mentioned this on Twitter a few days ago, and I think I turned Dolphins Twitter upside down that morning. But, you know, the more, and I've been thinking about this for several weeks now. It didn't just pop in my head like, oh, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to throw this out there and all hell's going to break loose. You know, I, I knew what I was doing when I was posting this, and I, I felt comfortable with what I was posting based on new information I heard earlier this week. And that was that someone had told me that there are still people in the Miami Dolphins building in Davie who are pushing for Justin Herbert as QB1. Now, we saw Mike Tannenbaum on ESPN rave about Justin Herbert, calling him the guy who is going to be built to last in the NFL over a guy like Joe Burrow, over a guy like Tua Tagovailoa. We've had Tony Pauline on Pro Football Network talk about how the Dolphins – have scouted Justin Herbert and nauseam when Mike Tannenbaum was in charge. The Dolphins even scouted Jordan Love before this year, before he was even eligible for the draft, which also raises some eyebrows. So you take those pieces together and you start thinking. And it's always in the back of your mind. And then you got guys like Tua and Burrow who rise to the top and a guy like Herbert starts to fall down a little bit. And because he plays on the West Coast at Oregon, people don't really see a lot of his games, right? So all that and his not pedestrian numbers, but his not amazing numbers don't elevate him to the level 
against a Herbert, against a uh, Tago Viola or a Burrow. And plus he plays in the Pac-12, not the SEC, where obviously not a lot of attention is paid to the Pac-12. So you look at all that, right? And you look at Tannenbaum, and, and if Tannenbaum was still in charge of the Dolphins, I can tell you right now, their target would be Justin Herbert without a doubt, no matter what. That would be their QB1. There are, however, holdovers in the Miami Dolphins building. And I'm led to believe that one of those holder holdovers is Chris Greer. As scary as that sounds. Stay in your seats. But they have the same philosophy. They have the same line of thinking. And Chris Greer and Mike Tannenbaum were aligned on a bunch of different things when they were working together in Miami. So how does this all happen, right? How, how does this all kind of play out? Chris Greer, his philosophy, as he mentioned in his press conference, when he was named the general manager of the team or the vice president or whatever he is now, said in his press conference publicly, and when, when Brian Flores was hired, said this. I would say if you think about how I've always talked about my upbringing and what I've done, Flores has started the same way. A lot of that would probably be able to paint the picture for kind of how we both think and think in terms of team building and what wins in the league. The question had to do with building from the trenches, and Chris Greer and his answer confirmed that. Now, let's stay on the topic of edge rushers and trenches, which includes the offensive line, because there are some very good offensive tackle prospects in this draft. And then we'll get to the quarterbacks as well. Chris Greer also said in that press conference, double down on it. He said, having a long-term vision where I grew up in New England, never wanted to spend huge money on a guy to come because he'd rather have three really good players than one maybe great player who may or may not impact what you're doing. I'd rather have three good players at positions that are going to help the team win. That's a little bit of it. But to me, yeah. You build up your offensive line and defensive line. You start there and then you work. Obviously, you need playmakers that are going to be impact players and stuff. It's just the way I grew up. It's how I started and how I really believe those ways are how those teams win. That is a huge smoking gun. First of all, you get the fact that he'd rather have three good players than one good player. Ladies and gentlemen, the Dolphins have three first-round picks in this year's NFL draft. Everyone's talking about they're going to trade all their assets to move up to the number one pick to get to attack of Viola based on this answer. I can tell you that is not likely to happen. Chris Greer would rather have all three of those picks than one great player. Exhibit C from Chris Greer's press conference before Flores was hired with owner Stephen Ross. Again, he said, look who I started with. It was Bill Parcells years ago. I worked with Pete Carroll, Belichick, Saban. A lot of that has influenced me. I talk to those guys still a lot about different things. I have strong beliefs of what I believe in, how football teams win, and how they're built. So I shared that with Steve. We had a good conversation moving forward. Remember, Ross urged his Jackson to draft a quarterback in last year's draft, and they held tight to their beliefs. That conversation that Greer had with Ross reaffirmed his own vision for the team that he would rather build from the trenches. Now, more smoking guns, and I'll wrap this all up in a nice little bow in a few minutes. The biggest thing that Chris Greer said, you've always talked about what kind of team you want to be. 
But as Steve said, there's times where you get caught up in some things where you may stray for it. But if you have a vision for what your team wants to be, you stay with it and you build it the right way. You can build winners in this league, and guys have shown that across the league. Staying to his vision of building from the trenches, not straying away because of a name like Tua Tagovailoa. Again, when uh, Stephen Ross was asked, is it important the next coach have prior NFL head coaching experience? Ross said, the important thing will be finding the right guy that kind of believes in some, I'm sorry, this was Greer. The important thing will be finding the right guy that kind of believes in some of the same things that I do in terms of building a team. But Chris Greer gives a little leeway here, says he's also flexible enough that if he presents his ideas and we think it's good, it's going to be a collaboration. But it's not going to work if he and I don't share a vision to implement that plan throughout the organization. The Dolphins never had any plans of coming into the season not winning a game, not winning one game, not winning two games, not winning three games. Ross said in his press conference, I would hope I don't have to go 3-13. and 13. And as we all know, Ross don't sugarcoat nothing. He tells it like it is. Now, Brian Flores was asked this. I think our vision and our core beliefs and our core philosophy of how to build a team, they were aligned. That was one of the things for me going through the process of interviewing. I told every team this. If our beliefs are not aligned, then do not hire me because if they are not aligned, then it is not going to work. If they're not aligned, it does not work work now let me get to the quarterbacks because this is interesting if you recall back in uh, the winter months january february when brian flores was hired greg roman was promoted to offensive coordinator and was given extra responsibilities for the baltimore ravens that's because brian flores tried to hire greg roman to be the offensive coordinator in miami greg roman very famously known for his work with carlin kaepernick and now his work with Lamar Jackson. Remember, the Dolphins wanted to draft Josh Allen last year. The Dolphins brought in Marvin Allen, who, lo and behold, was part of the process of bringing Pat Mahomes to the Chiefs. Part of the process of bringing in Josh Allen with the Bills. And what quarterback in the, in the college football ranks are compared to Mahomes and Allen based on athletic ability and a raw prospect, none other than Jordan Love, who the Dolphins scouted before he was even eligible for the NFL draft. When you add all of this up, if the Dolphins do not have that number one pick, if they do have the number one pick, I do think they would take Tua Tagovailoa. But I don't think they're going to take a guy and move up and trade away big assets to get to that number one pick. I think they'd rather build from the trenches, draft a guy if available like Chase Young, or draft a guy like Andrew Thomas, the offensive tackle, and then let it all play out and get a guy like Herbert and be good with that, or get a guy like Love and be good with that, or if Burrow falls, get a guy like him and be good with that. I just don't think we should all get hung up on it's Tua or bust because I don't think, based on all of that and based on what I've been hearing, it's necessarily that way. I'm going to jump off my soapbox. I'm going to let you guys talk for a bit. I mean, that's a lot to digest, Kanata. And, I mean, I know you dropped some very big nuggets there. One thing we can't overlook is that, you know, all these guys kind of fall from that Bill Parcells tree. They want that prototypical quarterback. I do agree with you. I think, you know, if Tua was there, if he truly is their guy, you know, they might move heaven and earth to get him. But those two names that you threw out there, Jordan Love and Justin Herbert, cannot be overlooked because, as we know, the Dolphins travel to Oregon Many, many times last year. They've traveled to Oregon many, many times this year. And again, he fits the bill. 
to me, he is a more accurate, a more refined version of Josh Allen, who you mentioned yourself, Marvin Allen drafted. You look at Jordan Love. He's a guy that many people believe are raw, and you know he needs to sit a year maybe behind a Ryan Fitzpatrick. But again, you see the Mahomes-type talent when you watch him on film. Those are two guys that I think Dolphin fans need to get very, very comfortable with because although Tua's would be great, Joe Burrow would be great, there is no guarantee at this point that they're going to get them. There's no guarantee at this point that a team would let them move up for them. So I do think you have to look at it as Chris Greer and what he's done in the past, what they've said in their press conferences, like you mentioned. And they want the prototypical, you know, they want the prototypical pass rusher. They want to build this thing from the inside out. They, they want players that fit the bill and do all the things right. They want leaders on the field, and they want guys that just fit and check off all the boxes physically. Uh, I think Justin Herbert does that. I do think that you're right that you know a lot of people overlook because of his pedestrian stats. Maybe they don't get to watch him as much. And in that offense, I mean, I don't know if you guys have watched many Oregon games. I have. It almost looks like Mike Sherman's out there with the go-go offense that we all remember <laughs> from Ryan. I mean, they go out there and they run the ball. They run the ball and then they throw the football. And it's just, it's mind-boggling that they have one of the guys who, heading into this season, was, you know, highly touted as the best quarterback in the draft class. If he came out last year, he probably would have been competing with Kyler Murray for that number one overall pick. He went back You're to right. school. He went, to, I believe his, his uh, brother was coming up, and that's why he went back to school to play a year with his brother. I mean, the guy checks all the boxes from an educational standpoint. He's a leader on the field. The biggest thing that people want to compare him to is Ryan Tannehill, and that's because he's a, you know, a tall, mobile white quarterback, and it, I just don't see it. I think he's more refined than Ryan Tannehill ever was. Again, I think he's more comparable to a Josh Allen, Carson Wentz, you know, kind of a hybrid there. But I don't think people should overlook him because he does fit all the prototypical things that they want in a passer. And Jordan Love, again, he's having an abysmal season. He probably has the worst supporting cast of the entire 2020 potential quarterbacks. He probably would benefit from going back to school or transferring next year. But the Dolphins have done their due diligence, like you said. I think they even scouted him on their trip out there to Oregon. He's a guy that he, if he can sit a year behind a Ryan Fitzpatrick or whoever they might bring in, I mean, he has the potential to, you know, maybe be even one of the better quarterbacks in this draft class. So we can't get hung up on Tua. We can't get hung up on Joe Burrow. Obviously, on paper, they look like the two guys that, you know, could instantly turn your franchise around. But to think that the Dolphins were heading into 2020 with all their, you know, all their chips in one basket going all in on Tua, I don't believe that. I think they've done their due diligence on this class. And, if they see their guy that can change the franchise and alter things the way that they have been over the last, you know, 20 years or, you know, get the guy that could finally come in and take the place of a Dan Marino, which is crazy as that sounds, they've had no one that could even compare. If they see that guy, they're going to do what they can to get him. I just will not put all of our, you know, I won't sit here and say right now that it is only Tua. It's Tua or a bust. I think the Dolphins know what they're going to do. They have a plan in place and, you know, trust the process. That's all I can say. Now, it seems like we're in the situation where, we have a mutually exclusive event where you can either go for your quarterback or you can build through the trenches and we're in a unique position that we can do both. So I don't think one rules out the other. I, I think there's certainly a domino effect though. If we go quarterback with our first, first rounder, do we then uh, with the next pick go in the trenches in the form of a tackle or an interior lineman? If, if, uh, if the guard is good enough to command that type of draft value, wherever that Steelers pick happens to be, you know, if, if we can get somebody like that after the quarterback, but then if we go aggressively on the defensive side of the ball and maybe say we're able to land someone like Chase Young, then uh, that alters everything, but we're still 
targeting the trenches there. So I, I think we're in a, in a great position to bolster both things. It just depends, you know, where's Miami going to pull the trigger on quarterback and where do, where are our draft picks at that point? It's so hard to predict at this point. Like I said earlier in the show, if we're at four, I think we, we could choose quarterback two and, and feel pretty good about that. Do we want to roll the dice? and look at drafting somebody more towards the end of the first round, like say Miami actually likes five different quarterbacks this year. That's not that crazy. I mean, this could be a really good class according to the Miami Dolphins. So if they like multiple quarterbacks, then we can say, well, hey, let's uh, let's wait a little bit. Let's not forget. I mean, we're talking about offensive linemen and defensive linemen. Let's not forget. They have $130 million plus million to spend in free agency. So they're going to True. do whatever they can, you know, to go out there and maybe get the best offensive tackle in the market, the best pass rusher, whatever it may be. We know from past experience that is not the right way to build a team. But nowadays, you have to use some of that money. So there's no reason to sit here and think that if they don't get someone in the draft, that they didn't already go up and do something in free agency. I do think they're going to be very active. <laughs> I think they're going to use that money. Adeline agrees. So I think, you know, we got to wait and see how free agency plays out before we can even sit here and, you know, even question what could happen at, in the draft. They are in the best position of any franchise in recent memory. I mean, this is the most important offseason in the Miami Dolphins history. And we just hope that we have the right people in place because, you know, this is going to make or break the next 10 years of Miami Dolphins football. And if we go the defensive side of the ball, I really just think we're going to be looking at that five technique on the defensive line. I just, from what I've seen from the Patriots, and I don't know if Flores buys into this philosophy or not, we'll find out. But I just have not seen the Patriots invest much money in quick twitch edge rushers, bendy edge rushers, you, you see more thumpers in that type of scheme. So I'm curious if, you know, in terms of the draft, if we let those guys actually fall a little bit more because we're able to uh, capitalize on a certain type of player that doesn't require that ridiculous athletic uh, spectrum, if that's what you want to call it. Which is why people are saying that AJ Ebenezer, I think that's how you say his last name, would actually be a better fit in this defense than Chase Young would be, which is interesting. And that's going to be something to really watch as it all plays out. And I don't want people to get my words twisted, right? I'm not saying that if the Dolphins are picking number one, they're going to pick Chase Young. I don't know that. I believe that if they did hold the number one pick, they would pick Tua Tagovailoa. I think they absolutely would. Or Joe Burrow. They would pick a quarterback there. One of those two. If they don't have the number one pick, I'm saying they're not going to move mountains to get to that number one pick. They'll sit where they are, and I think they'll feel just as confident drafting a guy like a Burrow or a Tagovailoa, whoever falls, or like a Herbert or a Love, and build in the trenches and develop those players. We've seen this coaching staff develop the hell out of these players throughout the season. Guys you've never heard of, Nick Needham, Vince Beagle, who two teams gave up on him. The, the the list goes on and on and on of guys they have developed this season. Preston Williams, Devontae Parker showing life, Mike Jasicki, even Ryan Fitzpatrick. They're, they've turned him more into a game manager than a gunslinger that he used to be. That's incredible. A guy who played 14 or so years in a league to change the way he plays so he can fit what your team needs to do. And you need to have that confidence in this coaching staff and how they're building this team. I mean, they've shown it. It's not like 
the year where you had Sperano, which we've talked about on the show before. It's, it's not like that year where Chad Pennington drops from heaven and the Dolphins go on his arm to the playoffs. And then, you know, next year, he's not going to be the same. You got Chad Henney coming in, so it's not going to be sustainable. It's not like Adam Gase's year coming to the playoffs where they're squeaking out wins or the year after where they didn't make the playoffs, but they're still winning close ones, lucky wins, and so forth. This kind of philosophy and culture that Brian Flores and his staff is building is a winning culture, is a culture that is sustainable, and is a culture that I think is built to last in the NFL. Tough defense, good offense, or not good offense, but good enough offense. But really, I mean, it's incredible. This defensive unit has just gotten better and better and better. And, you know, people are are saying, well, why don't you want to, why don't you want the Dolphins to lose anymore? And I've kind of changed my tune on this. But once I've seen now that this Dolphins team is improving and the way they're improving, a winning culture for me is more important than the number one pick. And it just gives me more trust in the coaching staff that they're developing these players, which gives me trust that they're going to develop guys that they're going to draft. So all of that tied together, I mean, think about it, right? If you're a, a draft prospect going into a team like Cincinnati, that's an absolute mess of organiz- organization, or would you rather be the third or fourth pick and go into a culture like Miami where you, you know things are looking to be already trending up? Well, and if you're able to draft and develop in the NFL, that might be the most precious commodity. So if you're able to draft and develop, I mean – that puts us in a great spot. It's it almost I, I don't want to be disingenuous, but it almost doesn't matter who you draft. As long as you get guys that are committed to football and and quote unquote check all the boxes, then you can really do a number of things with these with these guys. And the Dolphins have enough picks where you can get very niche with the type of football player that you're looking for. So if you can develop these guys, then I mean, it's uh, what a great position to be in. Also, having a head coach with the scouting background. I know we've mentioned that quite a few times, uh, but just having that type of thought process and the collaboration that that you mentioned earlier in the show, uh, it feels good. You know, it really does. Yeah, I think you know you touched on some names there. Charles Harris was actually showing up on tape last week, and I think he only played like maybe yeah. twenty snaps or something. I mean. We were all ready to give up on him, you know, two or three times by now, and he's actually looking like a pretty good run stopper. Uh, You know, Taco Charlton, a guy that the Cowboys gave up on, came in here, and he was our best pass rusher, although some of those sacks, you know, maybe were credited to the wrong person. Maybe Jerome Baker helped out here and there, but they're developing these young players, and, you know, kind of that's what this entire season was about, finding out which of these young guys can be a part of the nucleus moving forward, and you're right. You know, we all want a quarterback. We all love, you know, the Tua's and the Burrow's. But getting a coach, finally, you know, every three years we were we were changing. And, you know, they're bringing in a new head coach, a new philosophy. They're, that's not the right way to build a team. They're doing things right. I know we talked about in the last show, we said the same thing about Adam Gase. So maybe we do need to temper our expectations a little bit. But no coach in recent memory has come in here and developed players. And, again, he's turning chicken crap into chicken salad. I mean, these are guys that would not stick on other rosters. These are guys that might not be on some team's practice squads right now. And they got Nick Needham going out there and, you know, 
he's a blanket on Zach Pascal. Some guys were saying, you know, is this start a must start in fantasy football this week? You know, Eric Ebron is getting his pockets picked by Stephen Parker. I mean, they're these guys that you just have to look up when they're making plays because you don't even really know who the hell it is. I mean, they, they had a running back last week take carries that I didn't even know was on the roster. It's, it, it's crazy <laughs> what they're doing. They're developing talent. And, you know, I think in the end, like you said, this is better long term for the success of the Miami Dolphins than having a top pick because that's not the right way to build a team. That's not, not the right way to build a culture. But let me let me ask you guys this. You know, we've been sitting here and maybe we're rooting for them to get losses. As bad as that is to say, you're going to go in this week, and I don't know about you guys, but I'm rooting for them to beat the Bills. And you know what's going to happen? They're going to let us down, and they're probably going to get destroyed. I mean, how do you guys <laughs> feel about that? You know, all these weeks we're sitting here, oh, let's let's go winless. Let's get that top pick. They, they let us down. So now you're going to sit here and you're going to root for games. Well, what are the Dolphins going to do? They're probably going to go out there and lay an egg. But it's fun to say, you know, you went from at one point hoping for an 0-16 season to hoping that somehow they pull off this miracle and end up squeaking their way into the playoffs because how amazing <laughs> would that be? That'd be, that'd, be, that'd be absolutely insane. But, I, yes, you're yeah. right. I'm rooting for a win on, on Sunday. Hold on, Sai. Yeah, you can go. Go first. Well, I was going to say, I didn't mean to get everybody's hopes up earlier in the show when I mentioned what Adam Gase does, and it wouldn't be that crazy for Brian Flores to do something even better than Adam Gase. And really, the Dolphins, when they went up to Orchard Park and played Buffalo the first time, uh, it they looked pretty good. I mean, the Dolphins were winning 14-9 and going into the fourth quarter, and Josh Allen doesn't scare me. Uh, Obviously, it depends what type of Ryan Fitzpatrick shows up on Sunday, but this is a team where we played much better in the trenches. We only gave up one sack when we were when we were up in Buffalo. It always seems one of those games where we give up seven sacks to them or something. We have three or four turnovers. Uh, I know we did have a couple in that in that game a, a few weeks ago, but 31-21. I don't know you guys remember that weird onside kick where they ran it back. So. We're looking at a much closer game than what the scoreboard suggests. And, you know, down in Florida, playing a divisional game, anything can happen. I really think this will be a close game that Buffalo's going to have to earn if they do win it. Yeah, I was saying that I, I think I, – I'm not thinking. I, I know I'm rooting for the Dolphins to win on Sunday. And, yeah, you're right, how it's probably – they're going to let us down. But again, winning culture based on the way that this team is being built. I mean, if the Dolphins got two lucky, lucky wins like the Miami Miracle or Josh Allen just totally underthrowing Charles Clay in the end zone like he did last year, it'd be a totally different story because then the Dolphins are just getting lucky and that's not sustainable. But the way they're winning these two games, I know against inferior opponents and yes, the Colts inferior because they were without Jacoby Brissett and a few other players like T.Y. Hilton. But still, you have to start somewhere, right? And it's trending up in the right direction. And Brian Flores is totally locked in this week. You, If you watch this press conference today, the dude means all business. And it was further enforced and confirmed when he called out Safi Dean, the Sun Sentinel reporter, for laughing during one of his uh, question and answers. And it was just a bizarre, bizarre exchange because – what Safid responded with made absolutely no sense. Brian Flores is talking about Nick Needham and how he encourages players to stay off social media, to spend more time watching film, to not text, to not do this and that. And then at the end of Brian Flores' answer, he says, Safid, is that funny? And then Safid said, yes. And then Brian Flores said, why? 
And then Safit said, it is. And then Brian Flores said, why? Why is it funny? And then Safit started talking about Shaq Calhoun, which made absolutely no sense. So for me, that shows me that, one, he wasn't even paying attention to what Flores was talking about because he brings up Shaq Calhoun, which made absolutely no sense at all. Two, it's totally unprofessional for a credentialed media member to be laughing like that during a press conference with the head coach of a football team. I mean, when we are credentialed, when we've been credentialed for events, we are told that it's a professional work environment to act as a professional, to, uh, you know, represent your organization to the highest standards. And you have hardworking people like us, like others who are trying to be noticed by NFL teams and to be fully credentialed each and every year. And then you have guys like that who take it for granted, who make a mockery of it and who don't respect what's happening with this Miami Dolphins football team. It upsets me because I'm in the business and I've been to these things and I try to represent anyone who I'm working for and representing to the highest standard. And it just upsets me when this kind of stuff happens. And I'm glad Brian Flores called it out and kudos to him for making sure that there are standards in that press conference room. I felt like the first time I listened to the video, when I put myself in Safid's shoes, I felt like, um, I was in middle school, uh, drunk for the first time and I didn't have a very good plan. So I just, I just had my dad come pick me up and he smelled me immediately and asked me what I'd been doing. And I, you know, stuttered my way through some, I don't even know what the hell I said for the five minutes, trying to come up with some story to justify what happened. I think I said someone put the alcohol in my drink and I didn't know it or something like that. Uh, long story short, I just felt like I was a little kid just lying to my parents and trying to uh, save whatever face that I could. Yeah, it kind of reminds you when you're in class or you got caught passing a note or even cheating on a test. I mean, that is why, you know, we're all kind of ready to run through a wall for Brian Flores. You know, previous coaches, they, they see something like this. You know, I know Adam Gase. He's got his head over his eyes. He's looking at the ground just mumbling about who knows what. Brian Flores – is that funny? Is that funny to you? Okay. And he storms <laughs> off. I mean, I keep joking. You yeah. know, he's stone cold Steve Austin. We saw him on the sideline yelling at the ref the other week. You know, F out of here with that BS. You know, this is a guy that just, he's passionate about what he does, and you need to respect that. And, you know, Safid wasn't showing him respect. Brian Flores, you know, laid into him like you would expect most head coaches to do. And, you know, you, you got you to gotta love what you see out of Flores. Uh, I'm sure that it's not going to happen again. You know, I'm sure no one's going to question him. And when they do, Flores will be the first one to, you know, be ready to put put him in line. So, again, it feels like when you're in class, maybe you got caught handing your friend a note. Or nowadays, I'm sure kids are texting one another. You got caught cheating on your mouth test, whatever it is. Uh, you know, he had to feel like a little kid getting scalded. And I'm sure Brian Flores loved to do it. And he's going to be more than willing to do it the next time someone gets out of line. You hate to see it. You hate to see it. All right, boys, let's wrap up the show. Quick prediction for Sunday. I'm going to start first. Dolphins 24, Bills 17. What you got? I was going 24-23. Jason Sanders field goal as the time expires right down the middle, as always. Nice. I'm going to go another weird score. I'll go uh, Miami 19 and Buffalo 16. Okay. So we're going 3-0 and for the Miami Dolphins on Sunday. <laughs> so they're going to lose for sure. <laughs> no, <laughs> yep. no doubt. They're, gonna get every, they're <laughs> ever going to get everyone's hopes up like always and then crap the bed. All right. 
that's it. I mean, lots of going on with the Dolphins, lots to talk about, lots of improvement to see. And we're going to keep trending toward this journey to the draft and towards the end of the regular season and see how this team improves each and every week under this coaching staff and under Brian Flores. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Touts, at A Sutton PFN, and at Kanata PFN. Be sure to visit us on thefinsider.com for all the latest Dolphins news, analysis, and rumors. For Joshua Houts and Aaron Sutton, I am Matt Kanata. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next time. That was Finsider Radio, part of the Finsider.com and the SB Nation Network. Miami has the Dolphins, the greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl, because we're the Miami Dolphins. Cause we're the Miami Dolphins.